Thank you for tuning in to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. To keep connected with us, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and join our Calvary Connection. The vision of our church is to make Jesus famous. When Jesus is famous, everything changes, and he becomes our passion because his love is better than life. Today's message is from our monthly growth nights that are on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Thank God for this uh, last year, these growth nights that we've been able to have together where we've looked at Jesus' famous men and women. I'm partly thankful because I'm happy that those teachings were put down on the record so that in the future people can go and uh, listen to them or watch them and uh, increase in their own personal discipleship. I'm also really thankful because it was kind of the first big experience for Christina and myself to team teach something like that together. We've done, you know, little conference messages or podcasts about marriage or ministry together, but it was the first time that we had, you know, a monthly study where she had her subject teaching the women and I had my subject teaching uh, the men, and it was quite an experience for us, and we're thankful to God that we got to uh, go through it, but I thought, first of all, I just wanted to thank Christina publicly for teaching with me, and I know that the women uh, were greatly blessed and edified. Uh, I would sneak in and listen to uh, the podcast of uh, her teachings you know, each uh, month that went by, and uh, I just was so blessed by what she was sharing and communicating. She is a real a gift, a real knack for communicating the word of God and applying it into the lives of women. Uh, it does take her a little bit longer to prepare a Bible study than it takes me to prepare a Bible study. So that was another part of the adventure, you know, just talking about the word, getting into it together and uh, praying for her, supporting her as she, you know, uh, went into a venture uh, like that. Uh, so it's been so great just being able to talk about these things, encourage you in the different ways that we have. And so tonight we come to a close, and I'm not ready yet to talk about specifically what we'll be doing next year, but I think the Lord is shaping some good things for us um, that we'll be adding to uh, the Sunday services. This is a kind of a plus one kind of thing for you. You come on Sunday morning, and then once a month we have these nights, and I think the Lord is putting together a good plan for uh, next year. But tonight, what I wanted to do was just uh, share briefly from Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then have a little time of prayer where we pray for the men and pray for the women of the church that we could be the Jesus-famous men and women that we've been talking about over the last uh, year. So Paul said in Romans uh, 12, verse 1 and 2, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. Now, Paul begins this section of the book of Romans with a transition. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. 
this really is the first portion of the book of Romans that is exhortational in the sense of asking us to do something. Uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans are more of an announcement, uh, a teaching about what God has done for us. Uh, it's a declaration of the great and glorious gospel. If in Galatians on Sunday mornings we've been studying the gospel of grace, uh, the book of Romans is the gospel of grace expanded. I mean, he gets into great detail laying out for us his view of what the gospel is and what it has produced and done in our lives. And for Paul, he comes to a place here where he says, look, it's time for us to apply the things that we know about this glorious gospel that we have received. But I love that word, appeal. You know, it's a word to me that indicates that Christianity is a logical uh, system of belief. It's a logical religion. In other words, what Paul is thinking to himself is, after everything I've said to you, when I declare to you in Romans chapter one the brokenness and depravity of mankind, when I talk to you in Romans chapter two about the way that Humanity, though many are moral, are still fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans chapter three, when I declare to you that even religious people without Jesus, they are separated forever from a holy and righteous God. And when I declare to you that we were dead completely in every facet before the Lord, yet Jesus came and made a way for us to be righteous unto God, when I declared these things to you, I'm appealing to you based on that. When I went on into Romans chapter three and talked to you of the great faith that you can have in Jesus and how he will cleanse you of your unrighteousness. When I showed you in Romans chapter four, he is saying to these Romans, believe, Romans believers, when I showed you in Romans chapter four of the simplicity of faith and trusting in God, men like Abraham who even when they hadn't yet received the promise, they believed the promise that God had made to them, the simple walk of faith. And then in Romans chapter five, when I declared to you that you used to be in Adam, but now because of your faith in Jesus, you are in Christ, you're part of a new humanity. And when in Romans chapter six, I told you that there is a newness of life in Christ, that you, if you believed in Jesus, died with Jesus, were buried with Jesus, and rose from the dead with Jesus. When I said those things to you, I'm appealing to you based on those events, based on those facts of what happened in your life. When I talk to you, Paul would say, in Romans chapter seven of the struggle between flesh and spirit, the battle that every believer endures and goes through. And when I ask the question, who will deliver me from this body of sin, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The victory comes from Jesus, Paul was announcing. In Romans chapter eight, when I talk to you of the life in the spirit and the way that you are inseparably connected to God and that there is no way that his love can uh, be disengaged from your life if you are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, as Paul was saying all of these things, he comes now finally to this point where he says, based on all of that, I want to make an appeal to you. I want you to respond in a considered way. I want you to calculate and think about what Christ has done for you, and I want you to respond in a specific way. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you have made a spreadsheet, maybe just doing your own personal finances where you've got all these different categories and you have to add up all these different costs or uh, different things that you're saving for or whatever, and you've got down at the bottom the grand total. It's like the one thing I know how to do on a spreadsheet, the whole, the sum thing, you know, where you select a bunch and it gives you the sum. That's my one spreadsheet skill. But it's like Paul is saying, calculate everything that I've said about this gospel message, and now I want to appeal to you based on that. See, Christianity's a reasonable faith, and what Paul presents to us in this, these two verses is a reasonable response to the Lord. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. That word brothers, some people get bothered by it. It seems a little gendered. Where are the sisters, we might ask. But actually, this is a very unifying word that Paul is using. It is a word that they would have understood in their context as brothers and sisters or family of God. But Paul is saying it right after writing Romans chapter nine and 10 and 11 where he delves into the subject of the difference between Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. And he talks to the Jewish person who has great pride in their heritage and the promises that God had given to to them in the Old Testament era, and he lets them know that you are the olive tree, but there's a branch that has been grafted in, this wild Gentile church. They're dependent upon you, and praise God that they've been able to come into the very body of Christ by simple faith in Jesus. And so when he says brothers here, he's reminding them we're all family together. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Why should we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Because of the mercies of God. This is the difference between Christianity and the other religions of the world. Christianity is basically a message of grace plus gratefulness. Grace plus gratefulness, where you're overcome by the grace of Christ, overcome by the grace of God, and then in gratefulness, you respond to what he has done for you. This is a major reason why our mission and vision here in this church is Jesus famous. It's a major, major reason why week after week I talk to you about the gospel of Christ. It's a major reason why I try to conclude every sermon that I preach on Sunday with a highlight of the gospel, how Jesus is the hero of the story. Because the more we understand the grace that we've received, the more grateful we become, and our lives become better for it. I mean, who would you rather have a church filled with? Uh, A bunch of people who are legalistic, a bunch of people who are saying, 
I've gotta perform well, I've gotta do the right things, I've gotta be better in my own strength and might and merit. Would you rather be in a group of people who are just a little salty in that kind of way or would you rather be around a group of people who say, the grace of God has been so amazing to me and I'm gonna live my life, spend my life in grateful appreciation of him and what he has done for me. That's the kind of person that I wanna be and that's the kind of person that I want to be around. And so Paul makes that appeal. He appeals, he says, by the mercies of God. You might remember that story in the Gospel of Luke when Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to his home. And there's a woman, she's known as a, a sinful woman and she comes into the home and she's, she's weeping. She's celebrating Jesus and she's wiping his uh, feet with her, her hair and her tears and she's celebrating and worshiping him. And Simon's saying to himself, who is this man that would allow this woman to do such a thing as this? Jesus knew Simon's thoughts and he said, Simon, when I came into your home, you didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me a seat of honor. You didn't wash my feet. But this woman has done all of these things because he who is forgiven little loves little. Paul is appealing to us saying, you have been forgiven much. There is much that God has done for you, so love much in response. I love that, appealing to us by the mercies of God. Then he tells us really what the mission statement of the Christian life is. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The Christian mission statement could be something like this, my body for God's glory. My body for God's glory. Now this is a fascinating thing that Paul is saying here at this point because way back at the beginning of the book of Romans, in Romans chapter three, Paul announced that everything about our bodies is broken and depraved. He says there is none righteous, no, not one. He talks of us as dead in trespasses and sins. But here he announces that because of the gospel, these very bodies that used to be unalert and completely spiritually dead are now alive before God and that we can use them to bring glory to God as living sacrifices unto him. I think if we're honest, this is probably the part of Christianity that some people don't like. And I don't like the part where the rubber meets the road. I don't like the part where there's anything required of me. I, I, don't, I, I like the part where Nate's talking about everything being free and grace and all of that. But the second that my behavior is regulated, uh, the second that I'm asked to do anything, the second that I'm asked to sacrifice, I don't like words like this. And you need to give Paul a break. It took him 12 chapters to get to that point. There's a lot of beautiful stuff that God has done 
But it does come to a point in the Christian life where if he has really impacted your heart, you will come to the place where you say, I want to give my life as a living sacrifice unto him. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system where they sacrificed uh, many things to God, often animals, sometimes grain, sometimes they had financial sacrifices that they would give to the Lord, oil sacrifices, different things like that. Uh, but one of the main sacrifices were animals. They'd sacrifice goats or sheep, oxen to the Lord. Sometimes birds, turtle doves, pigeons. But here we learn that it's not an animal sacrifice that the Lord is looking for any longer. He's looking for us. He's looking for our lives to be laid down on the altar. I always love that passage in the Old Testament where the priests, when they were in the Old Testament era, ordained for their ministry, ordained for their work. At their ordination ceremony, one of the things that they would do is they would take a sacrifice and take the blood from the sacrifice and they would put it on the right earlobe and the right thumb and the right big toe of each one of these brand new priests. I've always loved that because to me, it's as if the Lord was saying, you, your whole body belongs to me. Where you go with those feet of yours, they better, it better represent me. I'm the one who wants to direct the steps of your life and I don't want you to travel to unholy places to do unholy things. And these hands of yours, I want you to use these hands to love people and serve people and help others and be constructive and I don't want you to use these hands to destroy or to tear down or to enter into sin. And those ears of yours representing what you hear, what you consume, I want what you consume, what you fix your mind, your eyes, and your ears upon, I want it to be regulated by me. It belongs to me, it's mine. I'm purchasing it with the blood of this sacrifice. And to me, that's a great image of what it means for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, of course, you know how the sacrifices worked in the Old Testament era. Think about how it worked. A pilgrim, a worshiper would show up and sometimes they would bring their sacrifice with them from their hometown, a little goat or whatever, and they'd go on their long journey. Sometimes they'd buy a goat or a sacrifice in Jerusalem, but they'd go into the tabernacle or into the temple precincts and they would uh, the priest would help them offer this animal sacrifice. Uh, the animal would come in alive and it would leave dead. <laughs> uh, sorry to break it to you if you're sensitive about that kind of thing. They, they would eat the animal. They'd have a feast together before the Lord usually. Uh, but the sacrifice would come in alive and it would leave dead. But in the New Testament era, what Paul is announcing to us is that we came in dead, but when we get on the altar before the Lord, when we lay down our lives, we are a living sacrifice. We depart 
more alive than we've ever been. And I wanted to encourage you tonight, just briefly, to accept the commission of God to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. If you were to imagine a, a home, a house, that had many rooms, each with its own separate key, its own separate lock, uh, I want you to envision your life like that house, and I want you to envision yourself giving Jesus every single key on the key ring. You see, too many of us, we hold back a couple of rooms for ourselves, a couple of things that we won't let the Lord touch, that we try to keep a secret from others or a secret even from him. But it's better for us to say, God, I'm gonna give you my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. I was thinking about it tonight as we were singing and worshiping, you know, I, I don't know how many church services uh, I've been to here uh, at Calvary Monterey. It's a lot. Uh, probably thousands and thousands of church services. I, for those of you don't, who don't know, I started serving here in the church um, in the January of 1999. Um, and so I've gone to a lot of church services. I've come and stood on this platform uh, many times. And I can tell you that there's never been a moment in my life where I've said yes to sacrificing for the Lord, being a living sacrifice to the Lord, where I've come to regret that decision. I've never had that moment. It may have been painful at times and difficult at times, running to the Lord for energy or strength at times, but at the end of the day, always and totally worth it. And I think part of the reason I say that is because I think part of the Christian life is continually assessing, am I gonna go for it or not? Am I gonna lay down my life before the Lord or not? Or am I gonna withhold from him? I believe personally that the reason that many Christians are dissatisfied with their Christianity I believe personally that a reason that many Christians are in despair personally in life is because they are living in the most terrible place to live. Not completely in the world, they've been delivered, but also refusing to make a decision to move forward into saying my life will be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It's the terrible middle space of indecision that I think makes the Christian life, if I could say it like this, the most boring experience that you could ever have. Because you're getting nothing of the world and you're not getting nothing of the good stuff of Christianity. So the only way for us who are in Christ is forward into the life that Paul describes here. A, a life that is laid down as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Now for Paul, these are not just platitudes. He's not just saying Hallmark card kinds of statements like, oh, this will make a great verse someday. People are gonna be sharing this with each other on Twitter one time at some point. That's not Paul's mentality. He goes on in Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15 to describe just what he envisions this life looking like. It's a life that runs toward the body of Christ, that receives the gifts of the Spirit so that 
we can minister to each other. It's a life that honors people, including governments and those in authority all around them. It's a life that respects the um, convictions that other people carry and seeks not to stumble them, yet runs in the liberty that Christ has given to them. It's a beautiful life. I'd encourage you to read Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15 this week to see what Paul envisioned uh, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God to be. But he thinks of it as this devotion unto him. He calls it there in verse two, your spiritual worship. Some of your Bibles translate that differently and call it your reasonable service. Now, the reason for that is because the word that's used to describe spiritual is a, a word that the word logos or logic comes from, the word. Uh, the idea, I think, that Paul is trying to communicate is that in the Old Testament era, they offered sacrifices. It was a very physical experience, but for us, our worship is not in that physical realm, it's in the spiritual realm all the time, every day of our lives. But it's a logical or reasonable worship that we're giving to the Lord. And then he says in verse two, though, that there is an enemy to this desire. How many Christians have we known over the years who have said to themselves, you know what, this is what I want more than anything. I wanna present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is it. This is my moment. I'm gonna turn from the old life and I'm gonna begin walking with the Lord from this day forward. And for some, it happens. And for many others that I've seen over the years, it falls short. It's a moment. It's a, it's, a, it's a season of enthusiasm, a season of excitement. And the reason why it's not as easy as just entering into it is because of what Paul said in verse two. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There is this obstacle to the best of our intentions, the best of intentions to be uh, a spiritual sacrifice, to, to lay down our lives before the Lord, and the obstacle is conformity to the world in which we live. Uh, when he says this world, other translations say this present age, it's what we're swimming in. Now it's been said that for Christians, we're part of two ages. There's the age that is, and there's the age that is to come. And when you become a believer, you become part of the age that is to come. But you're in a wrestling match between the two. What Paul announces is that we must make sure we are not conformed to this present age, not conformed to this world. I'll be honest that this is a major fear that I carry as a pastor, as a, as a shepherd, as someone who's thinking about the, the flock of God and concerned for the dangers that exist around us. My fear is that we're often so conformed to the world and we don't even know it. These last few years, there have been many things that have really discouraged me about the overall body of Christ. And one of the things that's discouraged me the most is the anger and vitriol with, 
with which many in the body of Christ have uh, rushed to as their default position. In, in my mind, all they're doing is being conformed to the very world that is upsetting them. This is a real fear for me. I want us as believers to recognize that there is a world that is constantly and continually discipling us. Probably not even as overtly as you might think. Just as you're living in it. It's like that old adage about the fish that said to the other fish, man, this water's cold. And the fish said to him, what's water? He just had no clue, no concept, because it's just what he's in. This age, this world, it's shaping us, it's molding us, it's discipling us. And so we can't be conformed to it, but how do we have hope? Well, he says, be transformed instead by the renewal of your mind. If you don't think that you need mind transformation, if you don't believe deep within your soul that your mind needs renewal, that it needs to be changed, that it's got to go through a process whereby it thinks completely differently than it did before Jesus came into your life. And if you don't believe that your mind continually needs that transformation and renewal, then I guarantee you, you are being conformed by and to this world. It's the humble who says, I know that perpetually I need to learn and learn and grow and grow and let this mind of mine be transformed. But this is a hopeful term from Paul because it's telling us that being conformed to the world is not inevitable. It's possible for us to overcome and to look and be different, but it doesn't come through pep talks at church. It comes through the transformation by the renewal of our minds. How does this work? Well, let's just think about it from scripture. I think the first thing that you'd have to confess is number one, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So you start there. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Something has happened to me. The old has passed away, all things have become new. So positionally, I'm new. What, I, what I'm not saying is that on that first day in Christ, your mind is completely transformed. You're a new creature, so it's already done. I'm saying positionally, before God, you're a new creature. I think I also would say, secondly, that you have to recognize that as a Christian, you now have a new position. That position is referred to in the New Testament as being in Christ, in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 is a great example of what you get for being in Christ. You receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because you are in Christ Jesus. Uh, my father was uh, and is uh, a pastor who, this was his uh, top uh, subject, talking about what it means to be in Christ Jesus, the great blessings that are there. So you're a new creature, you're in Christ Jesus, you have all the resources that you need, in other words, for this mind transformation to occur. And then I think perhaps a third thing that I would say is you have to then also understand that not only am I new and I'm in Christ positionally, but you have to confess that you are, Romans 6, 11, 
alive to God, just as alive to God as Jesus is. You see, it says in Romans 6, verse 11, that we have to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. And right before Paul said that, he was describing Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is completely dead to sin right now, and Jesus is completely alive to God right now. Uh, Jesus never has a moment as the Son of God where he's like, I don't know, I feel very distant from God. He's close with God. He's at the right hand of the Father. And what Paul says is, you have to, by faith, believe that the same thing is true about you. Because you're in Christ Jesus, you have to believe that you are just as dead to sin as Jesus is, and you are just as alive to God as Jesus is. And then, you need to go through the process understanding that you're new, understanding your great position in Christ, understanding that you're alive to God, that he's wanting to work with and in you, and then you go through the process of renewing your mind. Paul said in Ephesians chapter four that we should renew our minds by putting on the new person, putting on the new man, and he had some great examples of how to do that. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What's happening there? He's saying, you're gonna, as your mind is renewed, understand, oh, I thought I was a solo operator before, but now my mind is renewed and I've learned that I'm a member of a larger body, I belong to you and you belong to me. So now my mind is renewed because I've discovered this in the word, so I need to put away falsehood. Not because there's some law somewhere that says don't lie, but because if I lie and I'm part of a body, part of a, I'm, I'm a member of a body, I'm hurting the very body that I'm part of. That's the kind of mind renewal that Paul wants us to go through. So I plead with you, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You guys, there's a lot that is vying for our attention in the days that we're in. We're so distracted. Some of you guys, you wake up in the morning and you're checking your email right away you're on your social network right away. And my belief after reading a lot about this is that your brain is literally being rewired as you do that. That your attention span is being destroyed. That your ability to think deeply about a passage of scripture is decreasing because your mind is being not renewed but decayed. My encouragement to you is to discipline your mind. Let your mind be renewed. Let yourself be a person that says, it's beautiful to sit with nothing but my Bible. A journal. No phone nearby. No distractions nearby. And to just sit at the feet of Jesus and hear from my Lord. This is one of the great ways for you to have your mind renewed. What you're doing right now is a big part of mind renewal. You could be, you know, Riley and I were praying earlier before the service 
together and one of my prayer requests was, Lord, I pray that whatever they get tonight would just be such a different feeling than what they get at the end of three or four episodes on Netflix. <laughs> you know, where obviously something else is happening. We've got to pursue that mind renewal. And then he says, in conclusion of these two verses, that when that happens, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, over time, what you'll discover is a Christian who lays down their life this way, who is transformed by the renewal of their mind, you'll begin to gain the ability to discern and one of the things that you'll discover is that God's will, God's plans, God's purposes, is what Paul says here, the will of God, you'll begin to discover how it's good. You'll begin to discover how it's acceptable. And you'll begin to discover how it's perfect. In short, you'll become addicted to it because you'll realize there's no other way. There's no other brand of life that I would rather live. Nothing else can satisfy me like this one can. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary, please visit calvary.com. We hope to see you at our next growth night on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Thanks, church. God bless.